Thank you so much for your giving, for your generosity. And I don't know about you, I didn't realize that this is not even. And so uh, if you just wouldn't mind me for a second straightening out, uh, I'm the one that I think set these, the height on this, which should explain a lot right there. Is that even, everyone? Better? All right. Man, trying to get the whole church to agree on the height of a banner. That's a, that's a committee issue waiting to happen there. Welcome to week number two. In fact, I think I just put on Facebook, this is week three. So uh, I'll edit, thank God for the edit button on Facebook. Uh, week number two of our series on the tabernacle. And I feel like I'm on TBN or something with a big banner behind me harnessing my my inner uh, Christian TV. So um, wanted to have uh, a bit of a, a visual, especially on a morning where we lost sleep and in a morning where in about a half hour, you're gonna see people walking into church. Uh, don't point at them, don't laugh at them, but you can take a picture and post on social media, that's fine. Um, but this is one of those mornings that is, uh, boy, it's, it's like we, we miss something, but we gain something. We gain sunlight until evening hours, which is absolutely wonderful. So let's to, to celebrate the extra sunlight today. Everyone go out and get ice cream and enjoy a walk after the prayer meeting tonight. So um, we, we do a annual prayer series um, throughout uh, the six weeks leading into Easter. So every evening, Sunday evening, I should say, at six o'clock. What time? Six o'clock. Um, we have just a time of worship and prayer. So tonight, um, a few of our worship team members are going to lead us into a couple songs, and then we're going to get into just some time of, of prayer and, and prayer that's going to reflect what we're going to learn about uh, this morning. If you would, just keep Pastor Abby and Kurt in prayer. Uh, Kurt's father had a heart attack this past week, and that's where they're at. Uh, they're at U of M Hospital this morning. And just keep them in prayer, keep Scott in prayer um, as they are leading toward uh, surgery this week. And uh, that's why you, haven't, you don't see Pastor Abby or even Kurt around this morning. So just please, please keep them in your prayer. Uh, but let's do this. Let's just go before the Lord and just get our hearts ready and just ask the Lord just to absolutely saturate and touch our lives. Jesus, we are here today in your presence, believing that you're going to do something magnificent and something special within our lives that is going to shape our lives to look a bit more like you Jesus, you are our tabernacle, Lord. You're the place where we, humanity, get to meet divinity. And we become uh, tabernacles ourselves where your spirit rests within us. So, Lord, I just pray for your blessings upon the service. Lord, I just speak healing power over Scott Johnson in that hospital room, God. I speak, uh, Lord, your peace uh, over the entire family, God. I just ask that your presence would just be felt, that your love would be near. I just pray your anointing upon the amazing doctors and nurses. Uh, God, I celebrate... Uh, celebrate the medical profession and our medical professionals, God. I pray for blessings upon them. They are gifts from on high. And pray that you would just minister to them and bless their families, Lord. Today is your day. We rejoice and we're glad in it, God. We just speak your blessings over one and all in your name. Amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, you're going to go to Exodus chapter 27 as we kind of started off last Sunday walking into the gate of the tabernacle. Uh, so... This is, I'm looking at the edge of the camera angle right here. I've got a little spot on the ground. Some of y'all don't know our little tricks here. We've got a little spot that Kurt says, 
It's the point of no return. You're fired if you pass that. So I got to stick in this spot here. But over here, we had the gate that we entered in. And the gate, everything about the tabernacle, and we don't have enough time in six weeks to discuss every detail, but everything about the tabernacle points toward Christ. And so the most simplistic way is to look at the gate and to look at the three colors of the gate because we know Jesus is the doorway. He is the gate. And within the gate has three colors, crimson, blue, and uh, purple, crimson, redemption, blue, grace and purple, the royalty and the majesty of God. And so what we're going to do is we are going to start walking this direction over the course of the next few weeks as we've now entered what's known as the outer courtyard. Um, over here, we've got what would be known as the, the inner place. And here we have the outer courtyard. This is a very wide open spot. And with the gold outline is what we know as the fencing. And then you get into a room or another tent within the tent. It's got the inner things. And so we're just going to navigate to the altar of sacrifice. How fun is that? We get to talk about altars and dead things this morning. Praise God. You're like, I lost an hour of sleep for slaughtering animals. Praise the name of Jesus. So we're just going to dive into and talk a little bit, a little bit about sacrifice. Um, I have grown up uh, being a gamer. I love gaming. I grew up with Pong. Yes, the original, the OG, the best gaming system ever, Pong. All we had was a dial and it made a very soothing sound whenever you hit the little ball to the other side of the screen. There were no graphics other than little tiny slots that went up and down and, and, and you can hit a switch and it will put a barrier in between to get around that. I loved Pong and from Pong, um, some of you went to Atari. I did not have Atari. My dad was cheaper and he went for the off brand called the Intellivision. Some of you don't even know what a television is. Google it later. It was pretty cool. It was weird to look at, but it worked for the Behringers because it was cheap. After that became the NES, the Nintendo, the best of all the Nintendos. And then because we played Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, or after he bit somebody, they called it Punch-Out. So uh, I love playing that. And I've just, I've kind of advanced through the years and we still game a little bit. Uh, but nowadays, a lot of games are just on our iPads. So my, not that I ever do anything on my iPad besides sermon notes and reading the Bible, but sometimes when I'm watching, uh, you know, TV, and some Christian stuff like Parks and Rec or something. And as I'm watching TV, I will play a little bit of Clash of Clans. Why? Because that's what Jesus would play if he's watching TV. So I enjoy Clash of Clans. And I'm here to say that the most money I've ever spent on Clash of Clans is $5. $5. Because when you're spending money on those games, it's usually to get some sort of advantage. It's usually to help you to do something within the game. And so my son and I had this whole conversation about video games the other day, and we were talking about a game that he absolutely does not like, that may rub a few of you the wrong way. He cannot stand Fortnite. Some of your parents cannot stand Fortnite. Some of your kids, in fact, I, I, was, I heard an NBA coach talk about like, like what's the biggest struggle of, of, of coaching right now? He says, Fortnite. When the players come in off the court, they play Fortnite. They don't talk to each other. They play against each other and they don't get focused in the locker room. Uh, but Fortnite is a free game online and people can play with each other from all around the world. But Fortnite has made $2.4 billion. And it's a free game. And you may say, how do they make their money? Is it ads? Not necessarily. What happens is players buy 
they basically pay money. They buy whatever the money, monetary amounts, whatever their increments are called on Fortnite. They pay the money not to get any advantage in the game. Do you know what they actually, they're paying for? My son calls them, well, the, the name is Skins. The skin, do you know what the skin does? It just changes how you look. Is there an advantage? No advantage whatsoever. It's just all changing. They have made $2.4 million. People have paid Lord knows how much money just to change their look and to give them zero advantage in the game. Some of you parents are now realizing how much money you've given your kids to go on Fortnite that gives them no advantage. All it is, I mean, wrap your head around this. $2.4 million has been spent to impress other people that they will never meet a day in their lives. Fortnite is literally making money off of people that all they want you to do is try to have a look in order to impress, in order to catch the eye, in order to have people look and just simply say, wow, look at how they look. And I'm wondering if that's what happens in the kingdom of God is we spend more time and more energy trying to produce a look and not truly getting at the heart of what needs to change in our lives, which is our heart. We can spend time and energy on look. We can spend a purpose and vision on look. And if you ever do a study in the Old Testament on the two, di two different kings, Saul and David, you're going to understand that's probably the biggest difference between King Saul and King David. If you do a study, you're going to understand that Saul was after a look. He wanted to make sure he looked like he was being obedient. He was looking like a good king. That he was looking like a way that would keep the, the, the value of the people as well as the blessings of God. But the reality is, is he, because he just took care of his look, he lost out in his heart. Why is he different from David? Because David was more worried about his heart than his look. Because when the kingdom of God enters into a life, the goal isn't to clean this up to get to the heart. The goal is to get to the heart so it cleans everything else up. The kingdom of God works from the inside out. And because David caught the heart of God and helped produce something on the outward, even when David messed up his life, even when David committed murder and adultery, one of the darkest moments of his life, I want you to understand his response was everything that you need to know about David and everything that you and I need to know about life. David's response is out of Psalm chapter 51, where he says, he doesn't say, create in me a good look or create in me a way to impress others. He said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Because I want you to understand when it comes to walking into the tabernacle, this is as we're on the journey toward the presence of God, because for the people, this is where the presence of God was at. So for their journey toward the presence of God, they had to start here. And it's what we would call in today's vernacular, it would be starting with repentance. And repentance is something we just don't talk enough about, but at the same time, it has been a word that has been severely abused and misused for a long time. I've watched people water down repentance, and then I've watched people, I've watched preachers wield it like a two by four at their people, and then if I could just hurt them hard enough, they'll know that God has hit them. 
Or if we can, pastor, we just need more repentance. I've had people meet with me about that. We need to hear about more about repentance. And my question is, what to you is repentance? We need people weeping. We need people crying out to God for mercy. We need people screaming out in utter agony at the weight of their sin. I'm like, that's what you want me to do to them? Absolutely, because that's how God works. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how God works. Because scripture would say that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And if sometimes it's God's kindness that gives us a revelation of our own sin. Is that sometimes agony? I would say so. But to me, the moment of repentance is not as agonizing as it is trying to live repentance out because repentance has got to be more than just saying, I'm sorry to God. There is a internal decision and an outward response that we're going to talk about today. Because when it comes to repentance, our job is repentance. God's job is restoration. Our job is repentance. God's job is restoration. Our job is not to try to restore and to shape up our life and try to impress people. We let God shape our life. Our job is to come before God with a broken heart, with repentance and confession, asking God to do amazing things in our life. And that's why we get that phenomenal prayer of David that I pray so often in my own personal life, especially when I've botched something up, especially if I have kind of fallen short, especially if I've had just one of those fleshly moments where, man, my flesh got the best of me. I love praying that prayer song. Psalm 51 that simply says, Lord, create in me, create in Dave Berenger a clean heart and renew a right spirit. And so I want to talk a little bit about the tabernacle walk here. Let me read the scripture here. We've got uh, Exodus chapter 27 says that you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits and you shall make horns for it on the corn, on the four corners and the horn shall be one piece with it and you shall overlay it with bronze and you shall make pots for it to receive the ashes and shovels and basins and forks and fire pans. Um, you shall also make utensils of bronze. You shall make it uh, a grating, a network of bronze and on the net you shall make four bronze rings on its corners and you shall set it under the ledge of the altar that the net extends halfway down to the altar and you will make poles on the altar, poles of acacia wood and overlay them with bronze and the poles shall be put through the rings so that the poles are on two sides of the altar when it is carried and you shall make it hollow with the boards as it has been shown to you on the mountain, so it shall be made. God gives specific instructions regarding the tabernacle and specifically how everything is made and he starts off with making a bronze altar. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but there is massive significance that's taken place because in the outer courts, this is made out of bronze and this is made out of bronze. But when you get on the inside, the candlestick, the table of shoebread, uh, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, everything is made of gold. Do you wanna know why? I'm glad you've asked that question. Bronze, or in that day would have been more a mixture of copper, was to symbolize flesh, it symbolized judgment. It symbolized something that was fallible. And when it came to the gold, the gold was a symbol of the presence and the glory of God. So before you dealt with the glory of God, you needed to deal with yourself. And sometimes we are so busy wanting to deal with God that maybe we need to stop, collaborate, and listen and get over to the place where we actually get to the place where we start dealing with ourselves before we deal with God. Some of us just want to march into God's presence and just tell him what we want him to do. And many times, I bet you we can see a transformation in our prayer life if we would just stop. And before we start telling God what we think he should do, perhaps we should get a hold of what God wants to do in us. 
This is the bronze area. This is the place where we deal with ourselves. And that's why repentance and confession is so key. That's why there's a drastic difference between the brass or the bronze over here. And then we get to the gold on this side because it's the place as we're pursuing God's presence. It's the place where we say, it's got to start with us. That's why almost every single day of my week, I start off with Psalms 139 that says, Lord, before I start my day, search my heart. I promise you every time I'm done preaching, sometimes I beat myself up because I didn't say what I wanted to say, or sometimes I'm so excited about how the service went, but I will still stand in the shower and say the same words. God, search my heart, protect my heart. God, I want to be in the place where I'm just dealing with myself and I want to be in alignment with your presence. Because this is the place where humanity was to meet with divinity and on our way to meet with divinity, we got to deal with our humanity. That. The altar was not what I would call the prettiest sight in the world. Because over inside here, everything is made of gold. Over here, not only is it made with not something that wasn't so shiny, but this is the place where animals were sacrificed. So we've got the sounds of animal sacrifice, the smell of animal sacrifice, the, the sight of things, the blood, and all of the stuff that we're not going to go into descriptions of. If you want that, I will let you dive into Leviticus later and enjoy your beautiful Sunday with ice cream. But when we get to this place, this is a very ugly spot, a very unpleasing spot. It would have been a spot that honestly, if you were right on the other side of the gate of the tabernacle, you would see the colors and you would see the doorway. But right on the other side, you can already smell what's taken place. There would be unpleasant odors, unpleasant sounds. You walk through the gate, you would have an unpleasant sight. But I begin to pin out this thought. Confronting our sin was never supposed to be easy, nor is it supposed to be clean. Repentance is a, a brutal action against your flesh. Dealing with your sin... Dealing with sin life, dealing with your flesh was never supposed to be easy. It was never supposed to be clean. Coming to Jesus is not a clean thing because you come face to face with your own sin. You come face to face with your own issues. And there's rarely a time that I'm coming, coming to God's presence where immediately my flesh wants to do other things. It's hard to face the issues of your life. You know what's easier to face? Somebody else's issues. I, I, I can spend all day telling people what's wrong with their life. That's easy. And it's easy for us to do that with politicians, with celebrities and other people. But to come to the altar, sacrifice and get to the place where we simply walk in repentant life that confronts our own sin. And when we get into confession and repentance, I'm telling you, confession and repentance, it is UFC against your flesh. It is brutal. Because it is that decision that says, I'm not going to point a finger. I'm going to own my own issues. Some of you will need to look at your neighbor right now and say, own your own issues. Some of you are excited to tell your neighbor that. Because repentance and confession, which repentance and confession should always be together. They are conjoined twins here. They should always be together. It's not just about just simply changing actions. It's us working to do better. It's about us changing our minds to see things God's way. And out of seeing things God's way, it's changing our behavior to match God's way. 
That's the word. You hear me say it often. It's a Greek word, menenoia, meta, change, noia, the mind. It is a changing of the mind to see things God's way and having actions that follow that. Understand this. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change in behavior. Repentance that has no behavior connected to it, I'm telling you, it's just not repentance. When you confess and you're repenting before God and maybe before others, and believe me, we're not gonna do the type of confession where I'm gonna set up a microphone and make every single one of you walk in front of it to confess to the camera and to everybody else. It's not what we do here. But when it comes to confession, repentance, it's more than just a change of heart. It should lead to a change in behavior. And does that mean that you're perfected the day that you repent? No, because I'm telling you what, my habits have yet to perfect. But that's where I believe repentance has got to be more than a moment in our life. I believe in daily repentance. I believe in the habit of repentance. I believe in every single day doing what Jesus says, says take up the cross and follow me. Which means that I think every day I ought to be having a little death moment where I say, Lord, I know what I live with. I know what I deal with. I know the temptations. But today, before I even face the day, I choose to come to the place of sacrifice and say, Lord, I'm going to lay myself down before you so that I can follow you with my life. I love what Acts 26, 20 says. But he declared to those in Damascus, then to Jerusalem and throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Look at the last part, if you can, above the banners. It says that they were performing deeds, what? In keeping with repentance. This, it's a decision and an action. And sometimes we think it's just being sorry. Best example, my sister. One time she came up and punched me. And my, my mom said, Rachel, you can't punch people. She says, yes, I can. I can punch David. I'm like, no. She's like, you can't punch me. I will punch you back. All right, brothers and sisters, okay. And so she says, every time you punch David, you have to say sorry. And so Rachel will walk up to me and say sorry and then punch me, thinking that one sorry would absolve whatever she was about to do. And some of you laugh, and some of you have actually prayed before you've gone out with your friends, Lord, Lord, forgive me for what I'm about to do and go and, and experience. But uh, being, it's more than just being sorry. Because I don't know about you, sometimes I get sick of hearing sorry. Some of you in your marriage, you're sick of hearing sorry. Why? Because you want to do more than just hear about remorse. You want to see remorse. You're like, this is not a happy message. Try preaching a happy message about the altar of sacrifice. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. Now, confession and repentance is something that really should be familiar for most of us in the room because many of us have made a decision to follow Jesus and we had that moment where we confessed that we were a sinner and maybe we prayed a prayer. Growing up, we had what we called the sinner's prayer. Uh, what's, what's funny is you can't find the sinner's prayer in scripture. So you're like, I've had people call me up. Can you show me the scripture where the, there's a sinner's prayer? I'm like, all right, I'm going to shock you a little bit. It's not in scripture. You're like, wow, the Trinity's not in scripture. The Bible, oh, Lord of mercy. But the sinner's prayer was something that we as believers came up with to help lead people toward a very scriptural approach to Jesus where we recognize we're sinners and we're in need of a savior. And it's a recognition of Jesus' life and death and his resurrection and the hope that we find. And it's putting our trust in the hands of Jesus Christ. But understand that confession repentance leads us to Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. 
And I believe that confession and repentance, they matter in a believer's life because they don't just lead us to the place of discovering Jesus, but they help us to continually be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's just like marriage, that just because you got and you got the ring on it, just because you, you can walk away and say we're married does not mean that God's done working on your marriage. If you don't believe me, I will line you up with a load of couples that come talk to me and realize they didn't realize what they married. They didn't realize what they stepped into until two or three years later. They're like, that's not what I heard in premarital counseling. That's not what I thought I was going to marry. Why? Because we are being transformed year by year in our marriage to become more in tune and to become the one, the two become one. And it's the same thing in our relationship with Christ. That continual confession and repentance becomes the place where we grow and God continues to transform our lives. Confession has got to be more than, whoops, my bad, God. Confession is so much more than my bad God, or I get a call. Hey, could you tell the big guy that I'm sorry? I'm like, who's the big guy? <laughs> tell him yourself. He, he'll, he'll listen to you. Oh, that's one of my favorites. I'm like, I don't think he listens to me like you think he listens to me. Confession is more than oops, my bad. And repentance is more than I'll try not to do it again. True confession is admitting that we have sinned against God himself and his holy standard. True repentance is seeing the destructiveness of sin, whether it's in our own lives, whether we have maybe offended somebody else, or we have just offended God. And it's more than just recognizing it, it is changing the way we think and behave. Because the heart of confession and repentance is simply, this is my shortcoming, and I'm gonna do what I can to make this area of my life obedient in Jesus. That's confession and repentance there. Is I choose to see that this area of my life maybe is destructive or it is not being obedient to Christ. Because how many of you know the longer you serve Jesus, there are times the Spirit of God convicts you of doing something that might not be sin. He might convict you of doing things that they're not sinful, but they're just not the best for your life. It could have to do with habits. It could have to do with leisure time activities. It could have to do with certain relationships in your life that they're not sinful, but maybe they're just not healthy. And so to, to me, disobedience is just simple disobedience. And being obedient is admitting, this is what my shortcoming is, and I will do whatever I can to make sure that this area of my life is obedient to Jesus Christ. Because when it comes to repentance, repentance should always leave a trail of change behind it. Repentance was a place where people came face to face with the penalty of sin. Thank God that we don't have to sacrifice anything anymore. Leave your pets alone, don't worry about it. But this is the place where in reality, 2000 years ago, the one and only the last sacrifice had to be made for all of us. But the cross, the old rugged cross, one of the best hymns ever, I love the old rugged cross. It becomes the place that I feel like we should stop at daily to rebow our knee, to one more time realign our hearts and let the cross help us to come face to face with our own shortcomings. And it should produce change. First John chapter one says, if we say we have fellowship with him while walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that. If this is the place of confession. If we're willing to come up front with it, if, we, if we're really just willing to come clean with our issues, the beauty is this, is we don't have to wonder will God accept us? We come face to face and the scripture says he is faithful and he is just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And man, and that should shake us from the inside out and almost get us excited to say, man, when can I confess before God again? Because I don't know about you is that if I don't trust God's hand, usually I won't trust him with his, with my heart. But if I could trust the hand of God, if I could trust the face of God, then I know that even if I fall short, that I can come before him and he's not going to beat me down. He's going to resurrect me up. What did we sing this morning? Here's where the dead things come back to live. And even though it was a place of death, it is also the place where we can get to stand up free of our past and our sinfulness, ready to walk a journey of pursuing the presence of God. This is where the dead comes back to live. I wish I would have told them to, do that song this morning, I take more credit for it. But this morning, I just wanna give you some understanding about confession, repentance, as I kind of bring things to uh, somewhat close, which is a lie every preacher says. So let's talk about uh, confession, repentance. Why do we need this in the life of a believer? Number one, write this down. Confession, repentance causes us to acknowledge before God that we know and take responsibility for our sin. When we confess, you're like, well, pastor, do we confess to God or do we confess to people? I would say yes. In fact, the book of James, James would say it this way, confess to one another that you might be healed. And so confession this way is for forgiveness, but actually confession this way is for healing. What does that mean? There are times that you need to ask God for forgiveness for holding bitterness, but I would even challenge you. You want some healing? Go and tell the person you were bitter with that you were bitter with them and ask for their forgiveness. Well, they might want to know why I was bitter. Well, maybe there's time to get healing in your heart now. This is the place where we come face to face. It helps prepare our hearts for victory as we start turning away from the things that tripped us up. Let me say that again. Confession repentance helps get our hearts prepared for victory. And some of us that are unwilling to confess, I'm here to tell you, if we're unwilling to confess to God and even to people, I promise you, you're gonna keep tripping up over that thing because the more we keep things in darkness, the more the things will continue to trip it up. But you wanna get your footing set, turn the lights on. Get into the light as he is in the light. And as we get into the light as he is in the light, we'll begin to see our steps. We'll begin to see the ways of healing. We're gonna begin to see his ways of mercy and we're gonna bring life and healing into other people. Now, our approach can be different. I wrote down a few different approaches. We can have the blind eye approach. What's the blind eye approach? Well, if nobody saw it, I don't have to repent. I haven't got caught. The IRS hasn't found out yet. Um, my spouse hasn't found out yet. My teacher hasn't. My parent, if nobody saw it, then I'll wait until, if it ever comes up again, then we'll deal with it then. There is what I call the comparative approach. Oh, here's my favorite one. I can deal with it, but then I look at the other people in my church and I realize it's not as bad as other people's stuff, so I don't have to deal with it. And we, and we compare it with somebody else. Well, it's, it's not like I murdered somebody. 
It's not like I stole anything that they really needed. They had plenty to share. It's not like I did anything really bad. It was only a white. I love how we sit there and try to justify all of our sin and we compare ourselves based upon what other people have done. Or what about the justified approach? Well, I know it seems bad that I did that to that person, but you know what? They had it coming. They deserved it. Well, whatever I did, I don't think it was sinful. It might've been sinful, but irregardless, I know it's not a real word, bear with me here. But regardless, they deserved what they had coming and I'm not gonna say sorry about it. Have you ever met those people? Some of you are those people. But think about the approach. The problem is, is because this place is honestly a very painful place. And dealing with your own sin is much easier when we try to see it in light of other people's. But what if we came to this place not thinking about anybody else but us and Jesus? And we begin to approach it, and instead of trying to justify, what if we absolutely laid our hearts before the Lord and just said, Lord, it's me and you right now. And this is what I've got to deal with. I love the words of Tim Keller. He says, life-changing repentance begins where blame-shifting ends. Life-changing repentance begins where blame-shifting ends. Stop blaming people. Stop blaming others. Let's get to the place where we just simply own our crap. Some of you, it's just time to own it. It's time to own the issues. And I know this can be very sensitive to you. Some of you, you're thinking about something that was done to you that you never asked to be done to you. Some of you have been hurt by individuals. And I'm not saying that you gotta trust them ever again, but you may have to deal with the bitterness and some of the brokenness of your heart. And for some of you, you're thinking, well, if I forgive somebody, it's letting them off. No, it's not, it's letting you off. It's releasing you from the pain. It's releasing you from the agony. Let it go. Remember that great gospel movie, Frozen? Let it go. Release it. Don't watch the movie ever again. Confession and repentance, number two. Confession and repentance proves that we're not trying to hide our sin from God or others or ourselves. Confession and repentance just proves we're not trying to hide it anymore. We're not trying to set it underneath a little spot and just hoping nobody will ever describe it. I read a lot of Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She says this, the minute you are aware of something, it is immediately weakened. And if it is weakened, it is unchangeable. You know what the devil tells you? That when you're in the presence of God and God brings something to mind that he wants change, immediately when it comes to mind, know what we normally do? It tells us that we don't match up and we don't matter and we're unlovable, that God will never love us the way that we are because of what's in our mind. But God created our minds differently because what this neurosurgeon, this neuroscientist tells us is exactly how God created us. That when something comes to mind, it doesn't mean that you're damned to an eternity of your past and living there. It tells you that something is changeable. Something is transformable. Something is healable because there's no such thing as a mess that's too messy for God to resurrect and restore. And so the altar of sacrifice reminds us that when something comes to mind, something, you know what, that's changeable, that's redeemable, that God would not have, come, have me come face to face here to give me a barrier. It's for me to come and to lay it down before him so I can pursue him with all that I am. It keeps us humble. Number three, 
Confession and repentance shows us that we are asking for and relying on God's strength to help us change. Confession and repentance helps us remember it is not up to us as the changing agent. We are the obedience agent. He's the changing agent. And being in this place confronts us with our flesh and puts us in a place where, God, you're the one that's going to have to help me because the pursuit is for his presence. It's not to confront here and to walk away with it. It's to lay that down and to realize I need God's help. Number four, confession and repentance allows us to be continually healed, trying to make things right. Listen to that, those words. This helps us to be continually healed, to make things right, because there are some things that need to be made right in your life that are not gonna be made right overnight. There are some marriage issues that are not gonna be changed overnight. There are some relational issues that are not going to be healed overnight. Family issues, uh, financial issues. I come, I'm going to give God all my debt and I'm going to do the Michael Scott declare bankruptcy and it's all going to be gone. Nope, nope, nope. It's not how it works. But this is the place where we come face to face with our flesh and we realize that this is a journey and this is not an overnight thing. That God is going to lead us on a path of continual health. C.S. Lewis says this. As long as he doesn't convert it into action, it does not matter how much a man thinks about his repentance. L look at that. We can sit and think about our issues. And you can think about all of your issues, but until you're ready to lay it down before the Lord and then start walking in it. it the enemy, he doesn't care how much you think about repentance. He cares the second you put repentance into action. Which leads me to the last one, number five. Confession and repentance grows us in our relationship. Because once we're in relationship, it's not like that we have to go through the salvation process all over again, but this becomes a process of confession and repentance where we just continually day by day become more and more and more like Jesus. And that's what I want in my life is continual transformation every day. God, make me more like you, make me more like you. And sometimes in the efforts of wanting to pursue all that God has, because for the Israelites, this is where God was. That's what they were pursuing. But to do that, they had to kind of deal with some flesh. They had to kind of deal with some issues. And so this morning, I want to live out what our mission here is at K First. We want to make it simple for you to find and follow Jesus. So I'm going to make repentance as easy as one, two, three for you today. So pull out some papers. We're going to make repentance so easy for you. Excuse me. Simple, not easy for you. I retract that. Redact it. Simple. Number one, see it and own it. When it comes to your flesh, when it comes to maybe the struggles that you're having, when it comes to things that you're facing that you know God has been dealing with you on, but you have refused to follow him in it, see it and own it. Not see others and own their issues. See your own issue and own it. I'm wrong. Those are some healing words for some of you in your marriage is to look at your spouse, quit attacking them and just own your issues. I'm wrong. Secondly, try to make it right. So what do you need to do to live this thing out? What does, because repentance has got to be a moment where we come to the front and we get on our knees and we cry before God. But my question is, what does repentance look like Sunday afternoon and Monday morning and Tuesday morning and the rest of the week? What does repentance look like? Because like C.S. Lewis says, it doesn't matter if you just see it. You have to own it by working on it. And then three, 
don't do it again. Well, that's easier said than done. Thank God we've got the Holy Spirit with us. But I own it. I'm doing what it takes to make it right. And my goal is not to do it again. I change my intention and I change my direction. That's the Greek word right there, menenoia. I change my intention, I change my direction. I do a 180. I had a friend of mine that preached my entire message about doing a 360. He thought he was saying 180. And so at the end of the message, his mom came up, he's like, that was a great message. I think you meant 180, because all you did was tell people to turn in a circle and keep going the same way that they always went. <laughs> Poor guy. It's time to do a 180. It's time to just simply do a 180. Lord, this is where I'm at. These are the things that I need to make sure that I'm doing this week to put it into practice. And I need to do life in such a way that I'm not doing this ever again. Because to me, the pain of repentance that people, some of the people have talked to me that they want others to experience. Understand the pain of repentance is not being in a service. The pain is when you want to go back to living the thing that was supposed to die. The pain is going back to the habit, the back to the lifestyle, back to the mode, when you're supposed to leave that which was dead behind you so that you could pursue a life forward. It is time to do a 180, stop living in death and turn away and begin to live toward life. My prayer that I'm gonna give you that we're gonna pray this morning and we're gonna pray tonight is just simply this. Jesus, today I choose freedom. I choose victory, I choose boldness, and yes, above all, all else, I choose you, Jesus. I choose freedom, I choose victory, I choose boldness, and yes, above all else, I choose you, Jesus. I want you to pray this prayer every morning, to have a broken, a contrite, uh, a heart of sacrifice that would just approach Jesus and say, Jesus, today, I choose freedom in you. I choose victory in you. I choose boldness in you. And yes, above all, Jesus, I choose you. I commission this church to walk a week of repentance at the altar of sacrifice where we lay down that which represents things that are wrong and things that are broken so that we can rise up to be the people of God that God has called us to be. Would you bow your heads with me?